a relatively nice day. A uh, bit chilly, but uh, thank you for walking with me. So my name is Michael Higgins Jr. I'm a community organizer by day job, and I've been giving this tour for the last few months as not only a way to give, I guess, the people I work with from this neighborhood just a better context of the work I do, but just for them to really appreciate that they live in a very quickly uh, changing area and that I can give them just a, some quick, I guess, shots or quick points of view that they could appreciate and really, I guess, take, take away from while they're, you know, walking around here every day. So I'm gonna take you guys across the bridge, across the Union Street Bridge to the Guan's houses. Then we'll go north and back across. Uh, I'll show you, I guess, the head of the canal. I'll walk you through the history of Guanas. And then I wanna show you some particular sites just for Norfolk Canal, and then I'll walk you down 4th Avenue and just point out some of the things that you're seeing um, that are in construction and why they're in construction here, right? So uh, let's, get, let's get walking. You're listening to Audio Interference, produced by the Interference Archive. I'm Tyler McBrien. And I'm Rob Smith. In today's episode, we'll hear from Dan Kaminsky and Michael Higgins Jr. from Social Justice Tours. And as you heard at the top of the show, we'll join them on a walkthrough of the Gowanus neighborhood of Brooklyn, the former home of Interference Archive. Social Justice Tours uses tours as a medium to dig beneath the surface of what New Yorkers regularly see. They aim to engage New Yorkers in a critical dialogue about the past, present, and future of our city from the perspective of marginalized populations. The ultimate aim is to assist in movement building, that is to disperse information, expose injustice, and highlight inequality in a digestible, understandable way to encourage thought and inspire action. My name is Dan Kaminsky. My name is Michael Higgins Jr. The seed of this idea was planted for me after Hurricane Katrina. I went down to New Orleans, and it wasn't billed as a social justice tour, but the organization I was working with put these on. And we explored New Orleans, and from a very structural standpoint, you could see justice-related issues, namely the levees in the Lower Ninth Ward are like a foot large, and there's cracks in them and holes and all the rest of it. Then you'd go to the predominantly white sections, predominantly upper-class sections, and you're standing on a mountain. And so we take groups to this, and really you're, you're able to see that racism is literally embedded into the structures of how the city is created. Uh, and I think that got really powerful dialogue throughout uh, people visiting as well as locals. And then a little bit after that, I was living in Palestine, and it's kind of the same thing. It wasn't billed as a social justice tour, but uh, Palestinians took me around Palestine and showed me the surroundings uh, and, and the histories of, of what was going on in that area. Um, okay, so then fast forward to about three years ago, I was here, and coincidentally, I got a job as a tour guide on the double-decker bus just to put myself through grad school. Um, and it was right around the time Eric Garner was murdered. And so I would talk about that on the bus. I had a platform, I had a mic, I was like, per- you know, great, haha. And I would talk about that and I would be met with blank stares every single day. And then at the end of that speech uh, was where I think Julia Roberts lives, the actress. I don't even know for sure, but I think it's where she lives. And so I'd say on the left is where I think Julia Roberts is at. And people would be jumping over themselves to get a picture. <laughs> um, and on a daily basis, I found that profoundly frustrating. While I was frustrated with my audience, very much so, I was not at all frustrated with the medium of tours. And I really began to understand that tours really has a powerful potential to to look into justice and equity in our surroundings in a very sort of rooted way. And so the first tour that I started to run was a gentrification tour in Williamsburg. And I chose that topic, well, for a number of reasons, but but one, it's 
using Tor as a medium to explore gentrification, I think, is a very powerful way to do so because it's so rooted in environment. Uh, and so I think citizens of neighborhoods are very much recognizing, wow, the neighborhood is changing a lot, but may not know the history or the backstory or the racialized context or the economic context about what the changes are. So I did a bunch of research, about three months of research, put on that first tour, uh, got pretty, pretty positive feedback and people really seemed to want uh, more. So then I added two more tours to that. One was a Trump tour. Uh, this is right around the time he was really rising. And I thought I could use this. This is a way I can plug into this conversation and look into uh, his history and backstory and the rest of that. Uh, and then the other is a people's history tour of lower Manhattan. Um, so those are the original tours and that's kind of the original concept. And then a professor came on a tour and asked me to speak on a panel about gentrification. And sitting next to me was Mike. Uh, and so I asked him to come on this season and he runs the Gowanus store. I, I was talking to Dan last year after we uh, were on the, the, the panel together, and I learned that he was doing this tour in Williamsburg, and I figured that Gowanus would be a good further tour to do because it's, you know, you could see Gowanus as basically Williamsburg uh, 15 years ago. So very much a waterfront community, very much a manufacturing community, and very much a community that's seeing the real estate speculation that Williamsburg saw and undergoing the rezoning right now that Williamsburg uh, went through 10 years ago. And so if people want to see, I guess, that process really slowed down or in front of them, then they could come down to Guans and kind of see it happening. This is just something that um, is an opportunity for me to kind of talk about the politics, and but also talk about um, neighborhood and space and how people kind of walking or walking through their neighborhood, which is something that they feel attached to, but bringing the history and the, I guess the political idea and just the thought processes behind what's happening around them the the tour is not only just me talking about certain spaces but talking about how those spaces are changing and i guess how people on the tour may have the opportunity to make that change in a way that's favorable to them or at least fight against something that they don't want to see could you take us through one story maybe from the williamsburg tour that really illustrates kind of what you're getting at sure so i start the tour talking about indigenous history of that area. I then move on to uh, Williamsburg had a bit of an abolitionist community. So I talk about the slave history of New York City. Uh, oftentimes people don't know. New York City is the second most active slave port in the entire country. Uh, this city in many ways is built on slavery and I think that is a history lost on many. So um, I talk about that. And then I move to more modern context of redlining. Williamsburg was redlining, and I go through the history of redlining uh, of the area uh, and of North Brooklyn in general. I then move on to the economic context of gentrification in that area, which I really focus on the story of uh, the bankruptcy of New York City. So pre-1970s, in many ways, we're a social democracy where we have, you know, public 19 public hospitals and universal pre-k and uh, lots of social spending and and the rest of it the bankruptcy occurs uh, we put all power over the municipal budget into private hands which is i think one of the most important economic stories of new york city and but when we do so we begin massively to undercut uh, all these sort of social welfare spending causes in terms of housing we start uh, really declining any any money spent on public housing programs and uh, the rest of it and we're still much in this neoliberal context and then we go to the waterfront and look at the rezoning that's happened since the 2005 rezoning so in 2005 uh, northern brooklyn something like 3,000 blocks got rezoned much of it is upzoned where 
upzoning, I, in my estimation, is the city handing developers money because if you upzone, right, that's many more stories. Uh, so developers, it drives uh, investment, it drives speculation, it drives development. So since the 2005 rezoning in that neighborhood, the rent has spiked 174 percent. It's the highest rent spike in New York City and one of the highest rent spikes in the country. Uh, and so with that, we've seen something like 15 percent of the population was white in the 2000 census. 2010, it's 45 uh, percent. In 2020, it's going to be even higher. So massive demographic overhauls, massive class-based overhauls. Uh, and really a changing, changing neighborhood. And so we look at that. Uh, we see it. We talk about sort of those, the racial and economic context that has created what the neighborhood is now. I've been doing this tour for my work, or informally sometimes, to, with our members now for like a year and some change. And so even within that year, I could show them certain developments, certain buildings that are, that are finished that were just uh, frames or might have been just an empty lot. And so that's that's the speed of which development is happening. Uh, just a little bit about the geography of the canal. So to the east is Park Slope, and to the west is Carroll Gardens. So two of the most wealthy neighborhoods in Brooklyn, probably one of some of the wealthiest neighborhoods in New York City. The Guas Canal itself has been the site of various brownfields, various gas plants, um, until fairly recently. And there was always people that lived along canal because there were so many jobs through shipping and the, the movement of materials back and forth. And so along the canal, there's a lot of, there was a lot of rent-stabilized units that were affordable places for people to live. Um, there's been public housing built uh, within blocks of the canal. It was, a, it was a live and work area where people, you know, lived in the community and could walk down the street to their jobs. And... Uh, while you know the city has seen its economy change and shift from a manufacturing to a service economy, these spaces are now no longer needed, and so we're seeing the manufacturing spaces being repurposed for certain for uses. So one of the uses, obviously, the interference archives is is uh, you know getting some use out of, but this is also something that real estate developers pay attention to. That there's just land that's just sitting there that they could use if, if the use of that land is, is changed into residential. And so that's, that's what's been happening in Guanas over the last uh, five to ten years. But right now, the de Blasio administration is proposing a neighborhood-wide rezoning. And so that would basically rezone most of the area to the east and west of the canal. And that would drastically change what we see in the canal right now. So you see very tall buildings like you see on 4th Avenue, just, just on the border of Guanas. Uh, you'd see a lot less uh, manufacturing um, uses, whether those, those are warehouses, whether those just are various entertainment venues and, you know, bars and, you know, whatnot. And that would definitely change because there's there would be so much pressure on that land that the only thing that developers would want that could really, that's suitable to the cost of building something is building housing. Who usually takes your tours if there's, you know, a certain, is it a lot of community members? Is it tourists that take them? And then... I uh, would love to hear some reactions you've gotten. Oh, sure. Um, all right, so uh, The Who. The Who uh, is definitely something I've given a lot of thought to, and it also is somewhat tour by tour in that if the tours of communities, I really want them to be led by people from those communities or organizing that community, as well as uh, at f by f and for the people of that community to learn a bit more uh, about, again, the future and the past and, and the rest of it. Uh, so that's the, the dominant. Uh, and then the, the reactions, as I said, they've been really, really good. I, I get emails after the tours pretty often. Um, one that comes to mind um, after that tour last week, someone emailed me, it was right after the Vegas, Las Vegas massacre, and said, 
you know, I'm so glad that you put this in context for me about uh, their massacres and histories in, in my own city that I didn't know of, you know, and um, thank you for doing that. And, and so, and that sort of response has been a pretty common uh, response. And so the, the feedback, I actually was unsure if I was going to continue after the first season. And the feedback is the reason that I decided to continue. It's been, it's been really positive and really exciting to, to get that. I guess there seems to be, I guess, the a specific person that, you know, often may know about my organization or may know about a little bit about what we do. And this is like their opportunity to really see it up close. And so um, we have people who are from the neighborhood or relatively new to the neighborhood. So they know the, the basic geography, but they don't necessarily know the history or they don't know the processes at work. And so I feel happy to, you know, really give them, I guess, really a one-on-one about what's what's happening around them. And I guess then from there, they can really, I guess, jump into the work where they feel comfortable. Um, well, my name is Michael Idarola, and I was interested to learn about uh, my neighborhood. And I was interested in, um, I didn't realize, I thought we were going to focus mostly on the Gowanus Canal, but I was happy to go over to the Gowanus Houses and, and especially interested in finding out about the community center, the history of the community center, and that it was closed for so long. And then during the Superstorm Sandy, there was a really great incidence of direct action in the community coming and, and, and opening up the doors. And I'm interested to see now, well, I asked if there was any documentation of that period. I think that would be really cool to look into. And I want to know what happens going forward because public spaces are really important and community spaces I'm really interested in. And I think they're super important. Could you tell me what you guys like about doing the tours yourselves? I think my f- my favorite thing, which is what I, I mentioned before, is just the dialogue that gets created. And having people understand a little bit more uh, about their communities and the potential for them to plug in to, to potentially slow down or halt uh, directions that they may not want it to go in. So as an organizer, it's an opportunity for me to kind of keep tabs on what's happening. And I get to see on a regular basis, okay, you know, are these changes that I want to share? Are these changes that we want to see? Or are, they, are these changes that we don't want to see? And if these are things that we don't want to see, I have the opportunity to then do, do research and really try to start a campaign or start doing direct action against you know what I see. What are both of your hopes for your tours? I think there's a variety of, of different hopes that I have. Um, at the very sort of basic level, I think uh, our political climate is such and our political discourse is such that uh, even just spreading information and dialogue in and of itself is, is a rather valuable act. Um, and so I think there, there is value there. But then I also do hope that this is not just like a two hour, okay, I, I now know some things and I'm good to go. But I, I really do generally hope that it does lead to some action. Obviously, you know, the thing, the stuff that me and Dan do requires a lot of research, but I think there's nothing about what we do is anything that the average person can't do especially if they you know if they they have the love and like really i guess the the focus to really just take what they what their home is or what their community is and try to i guess encapsulate what's happening what's something that the people around them should know and ultimately i guess that's really the basis of what i do what many of us do and do with a lot of love 
You've been listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. The archive is collectively run and volunteer-powered. If you like what you heard today, consider making a donation to help keep the archive up and running. Go to interferencearchive.org and click on Donate. From all of us at Audio Interference, thanks for listening.